Good morning, VRBC, in person, online. We're so glad you're joining us as well. We're talking about the house that prayer built. We're talking about two great things that go great together, and that is family and prayer, specifically the Lord's Prayer. Of course, this is an amazing prayer that we pray as individuals, but we're also talking about the impact the Lord's Prayer can have on our families. And so far, uh, we've talked about families that worship our, our Father in heaven and hallow his name. We've talked about last week, families that serve, uh, that pray for God's kingdom to come uh, and to experience heaven coming down on earth. Now today, we wanna talk about families that live humbly. We wanna talk about humble families. And uh, that makes, that's kinda makes you think, well, well, what's a proud family all about? Is that, you know, uh, is that a family that struts maybe? Uh, is, is it the family that like, kind of like when I was in seventh grade, all of us seventh grade boys, we, we walked like this down the halls of school, you know, uh, all 80 pounds of us like we were Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is that what it is? It's, is is, is a, a proud family, a family that uh, tries to pretend it's something it's not? Uh, is, is the proud family that family that's always bragging on social media about all their accomplishments and the subtle message, if they don't spell it out, is, you know, we're kind of a big deal? Uh, well, maybe, maybe, but when I speak of kind of humble families and proud families, I'm really, I'm speaking more of our posture in life. Is our posture one of humbly acknowledging our needs? Uh, is our posture one of humbly acknowledging our flaws? And that's where this section of the Lord's Prayer that we're going to look at today in verses 11 and 12 can be so helpful for us. I counted them uh, in my translation, 18 words, but my goodness, what a mouthful. Uh, Matthew 6, 11 and 12 says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. What are the implications of this for us today? Well, the first thing I want you to do, uh, kind of physically or, or mentally, is I want you to circle the verbs. There, there are two, two verbs, give and, and forgive, two different forms here uh, in verse 11. But those two verbs, I think, sim, uh, kind of signal for us uh, two humble requests. Two humble requests. When you're asking someone to give you something, or when you're asking someone to forgive you of something, uh, you can't really do that proud, pridefully, right? That, that, that uh, almost signals a posture of humility. Um, and, and, you know, proud people don't ask for anything, right? Because they're self-sufficient. And proud people don't ask you to forgive them because why? You know, they haven't, they haven't done anything wrong. In fact, if I were to try to capture the, the posture of the proud person, I, I think I would do it this way. I think I would do it kind of with arms full to do that for me. Some of you, you don't have to change. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, I like to fold my arms too. But, but uh, yeah, so but just for the purpose of the sermon, right? I, this is kind of the proud posture. The proud posture says, I don't need anything and, and I don't need you, <laughs> basically. Uh, I am, I'm all wrapped up in myself. I am self-sufficient. The proud, you can, you can stop doing that. The proud person uh, basically says, look, we're not like the rest of you, right? We're, uh, we, we're self-made people. We, we take care of ourselves. We supply our own needs. We're smart. We're talented. We, we make our own way in the world. Now, of course, Nothing wrong with intelligence, nothing wrong with talent, nothing wrong with drive, certainly nothing wrong with achievement. But I wonder how many people think of themselves as, as self-contained, as self-sufficient. I wonder how, how many of us, uh, you know, have 
this excess of pride. I wonder how many of us have a lack of love and concern and compassion for others. I love this true story Brian Chappell tells. It, it happened during the uh, period of American history, American religious history called the Great Awakening. And it was during the 1700s, a very famous pastor, Jonathan Edwards, was presiding over this massive men's prayer meeting. Uh, 800 men were in attendance. And, but just before the prayer meeting, a, 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 a woman was, was very concerned, came to Jonathan Edwards and just said, do you think you could do me a favor, pastor? Could you have the men at this prayer assembly pray for my husband? Uh, and he said, well, what's wrong? Well, you know, he's, he's, my husband is, is unloving and he's prideful and he's very difficult to live with. And so Edwards kind of heard this message and then, you know, he thought, well, what if that man is actually here? <laughs> I mean, this would be a great opportunity, wouldn't it, to sort of uh, pray for him and confront him with, uh, with this need. And so he actually kind of read this note out to this prayer meeting of 800 men. And then he said, I'm going to ask you to do something very bold, sir. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to raise your hand so that we can all pray for you. And 300 hands went up in the air. Sobering, isn't it? <clears throat> Sobering that 300 men saw themselves in that prayer request. Arms folded, self-sufficient, unloving, filled with pride, difficult, right? If we're honest, you know, uh, we're more like that description than we care to admit today. And all of a sudden, we're making our way through the Lord's Prayer, and we come to these words, give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts or trespasses as we also have forgiven our debtors. What happens to us? What happens to us when we really pray this prayer? And, and, and not just with our, with our lips, but with our hearts. Well, I think it prompts a, a posture change. So, so kind of fold your arms again, okay, all right? And then now transition to this. To pray the Lord's Prayer, I think, is to, to have this change in posture, the posture of our souls, to come to God aware of our need. That's a massive change, right? It says, I am, I am needy. I need you, God. I need you to give, and I need you to forgive. It drives us to, to humble prayer. And in this section of the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray for two things. We're taught to pray, first of all, for physical needs. Jesus teaches us to pray simply for, for daily bread. You know, in the Bible, bread was a big deal. And we see that repeatedly. Old and New Testament, how significant bread is. Some of you may remember our Exodus series uh, where God invented a form of bread that rained down from heaven. It was called manna. And God basically taught the people to wait on, to anticipate daily bread. Not to take matters into their own hands, but to depend upon God's provision. Then we get to the New Testament. And Jesus, we see, cares a lot about bread. In fact, there's this miracle that happens in all four of the Gospels. Uh, Mark 6, for example, talks about it. Jesus has been teaching all day. The people have been feeding on the word of God. But meanwhile, their stomachs are, are hungry. And Jesus has compassion on them. And he asks for a little inventory of the disciples of what food is on hand. There's just a little boy's lunch, you may remember. Uh, just a few biscuits and sardines. But Jesus takes them into his hand. And he, he thanks God for them, blesses them, breaks and distributes. And everybody is fed. Apparently to Jesus, bread is a very big deal. Now, we don't live on physical bread alone. Jesus taught us in Matthew 4. 
We, we, we live ultimately on what comes from the mouth of God, the word of God, but we still need physical food, right? If we don't, if we don't eat, it's gonna be hard to pray. Uh, and, and so Jesus taught us to pray daily for his provision. Now in Bible times, food insecurity was such a daily reality. Nobody had a refrigerator uh, and today's food would be rotten in no time. And without a, a fresh supply of bread, uh, people wouldn't last long. And in our world today, there's so much food insecurity. In our community, there's so much of a daily urgency, people going to bed hungry. And yet at the same time, maybe for many of us, this food insecurity is a foreign reality. I am so convicted when I pray the Lord's Prayer of how often I take daily bread for granted. Now, I have in my life skipped meals on an occasion, not many, uh, but, but I have. But, but I, there's never been a day that I can remember, even in, even in college, you know, when I would microwave hot dogs and stick them in a jar of paste pecani sauce. Even then, I don't think there was ever a day where I thought, I, I may not eat today. This is an unbelievable blessing that I regularly take for granted. And if I continually take it for granted, pride sets in. And this pride is harmful to my soul. And so whenever I pray the Lord's Prayer, it puts me in that humble posture. It reminds me how dependent I am on God. Eugene Peterson has said that, that if I'm not careful, a blindness will set in. That I will forget that I am a creature uh, and, and, and I'll become spiritually blind. I'll, I'll begin to conclude that I live on my own resources, that I am my own provider, that I am my own God. And so I come again and again to the Lord's prayer. And I think when you and I pray this prayer as individuals and as, as a family, just as a reminder, family can be mom, dad, and 2.2 kids, or it can be you and your parents, or you and your siblings, or the, our church family, or the people who, who are, are like family to you. But when we pray this prayer as families, guess what? It begins to shape our self-identity. We begin to see ourselves as we truly are, not like needy codependent, but, 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 but depending upon God humbly depending upon God and reaching out our hands each day, assuming a posture of humility. And we do so with a loving Heavenly Father who knows what we need. I love the story one dad tells about his son Jonathan. Their, their church had been praying the Lord's Prayer and, and uh, you know, Jonathan was four years old. He was listening each week. And one day he said, while, while the church is praying the Lord's Prayer, he heard Jonathan's voice kind of loud above the others. And, and, and Jonathan said, our Father who art in heaven, I know you know my name. And uh, you know, technically not accurate, but, but theologically so true, right? When we come to our Heavenly Father, we come to the one who knows our name, the one who loves, the one who provides. But we don't just hold out our hands for physical needs, for, for daily bread and for clothing and lodging, medicine and, and care. The Lord's Prayer also teaches us that we hold out our hands for spiritual needs. Because we ask God not just to give, but we also ask him to forgive. You know, if you look at the broad context of the Lord's Prayer, it's found in Luke 11 and also Matthew 6, there are three different words that are mentioned uh, that <clears throat> talk about things that we need forgiveness for. Uh, the first is the word sin. 
which means to miss the mark. That, that word describes my cornhole game. Uh, unfortunately, despite what you may have seen on the video, I, I regularly miss the mark of that cornhole board. Uh, there's a second word, and that's trespass. Trespass, you know, if you think of a sign that says no trespassing, that means we went places that we shouldn't have gone. And then the, the, the third word that describes our, our, the things we need to be forgiven for is that word debt. Let's look, talk about debt for a second. A debt is something that we borrow and, and can't pay back. And so if you lease an apartment and then you, you, you don't pay the rent and then you trash the apartment, uh, then you're going to owe a large debt. Well, in a biblical worldview, everything belongs to God. And so when we fail to be good stewards of what God has given us, uh, we rack up a debt, and over time, it's a massive debt. Uh, we end up in a, a spiritual version of debtor's prison. We, we, we can't find the capital to pay for our release from all the debts that we owe. In fact, one uh, preacher, uh, uh, German preacher, Helmut Tillich, said, said it's like a massive mortgage over time of all of our sins, of all of our trespasses, all of our debts. Now, in our pride, we ignore the debt. I mean, right, the, 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 the daily bill uh, collector comes by and we don't answer the door, okay? We, we ignore our debts. But something happens when we begin to pray the Lord's Prayer. We recognize, we acknowledge our sins, our trespasses, our debts before God, and we ask for forgiveness. We acknowledge that something's not right in the very center, the very soul of our lives. I love this story. A British theologian named Tom Wright tells, um, he said one time he, he just kind of wasn't paying attention to his car and he's out on a country road and he, he uh, ran out of gas. And he said a nearby farmer came to his rescue and put some uh, fuel, petrol, uh, into his car. But, but he didn't realize that what the farmer actually put was, was lawnmower fuel. And he said, kind of all the way driving back home, his car behaved like a sick animal. It was just coughing and sputtering. And, and when he was finally able to take his car to the mechanic, uh, the mechanic cleared out all that messy stuff from the carburetor. And he said when, it, when his car finally started up again, when he got his car back, he said he felt like his car was breathing a sigh of relief. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive us our trespasses. That's what we are praying. Lord, there's so much junk in my soul that needs to be cleared out. Would you forgive me inside out so that I, my soul can stop coughing and sputtering, so that I can breathe the clean air of grace again. My, 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 my pistons are not firing the way they're supposed to be, Lord. My life has gotten off of your path. My debt is astronomical. And so I look to the cross. I pray for that amazing grace that you offer. So is that it? Is that kind of the posture move? Is it from prideful self-sufficiency to open hands, uh, just seeking God's grace? I believe there's actually a third posture that this part of the Lord's Prayer leads us to. And, and, and we move from kind of arms folded to hands outstretched, or hands cupped to hands outstretched, where we share the goodness and grace of God with others. I think this is where this starts to get really powerful. Because once I hold my hands out to God, once I recognize all the blessings, physical and spiritual, that God has given me, it prompts a chain reaction in my heart. I mean, first of all, it prompts gratitude, 
right? I mean, when you daily pray this prayer, when you daily realize all the blessings God has given you, I mean, there's so much joy in that, isn't there? There's joy. Even in the ability to pray the prayer, there's joy. Jesus is saying to us, I don't want you to be consumed with material needs. I want you to learn to pray, and I want you to learn to trust me. And I think Jesus is saying to us by implication that we can trust him with all of these needs. We can trust him not just with our need for food, but with with cracked foundations and with stalled cars and, and, and all of the things that we face. We can come to him. Jesus says in Matthew 6, do not be worried about anything, right? He doesn't want us to, he doesn't want us to worry about what we'll wear or, 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 or what we'll eat. He wants us to trust him. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 4, trusting him with our provision. I think this is a, a powerful practice for our families to, to, to basically acknowledge, name all the good things that God has given us. When we pray this prayer, we are, we are knowledgeable of how grateful we are of what God has given us. But I think we are also knowledge, knowledgeable of, of this deep compassion for others. Because it, we begin to realize it's selfish just to pray for my daily needs. It's not, it's not selfish to pray for my daily bread, but it's selfish to pray only for my daily bread. And that's why Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. And so for me to think about that and to pray that is not just to pray for my empty plate, it's to pray for your empty plate. It's to be knowledgeable of the blessings that God has given me that you might be in need of. And to ask myself, what is it that God has placed in my hands that I could share with you? And and I, I think that's a great practice for individuals, friends, and families. What has God given us that we can share with others? What a great question to talk about with the people in your life. And then I think there's another thing that happens when we reach out our hands to God, especially when we receive the amazing grace and forgiveness that he gives us. And that is, it can produce in us a heart of forgiveness, a heart of gratitude, a heart of compassion, and a heart of forgiveness. We begin to realize that we can't just hoard all the grace that Jesus has given us. We begin to share, and that's why Jesus actually says in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Sometimes we stumble over that, don't we? We want to just pray the first part, forgive us our debts. And we don't want to think about the people who have incurred debts with us relationally. So what does that mean when Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors? Does that mean that God won't forgive us if we don't forgive others? Some people say yes. That's what it, that's what it says. Some people say that, that when I forgive you, it is actually a sign that God's grace is active in me. It's a sign that I am receiving forgiveness for my sins that when I freely share it with you. It's almost like I inhale God's forgiveness for me and then I exhale my forgiveness of you. These things go together. Jesus connects them. And by the way, we're not earning our forgiveness when we forgive others. We're demonstrating. In fact, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, used to say this. He said he loved that clause. A lot of people don't. But he loves that clause that says, as we forgive our debtors. Because he realizes every time he forgives somebody, it's like a little miracle's happening in his heart. God's forgiveness is alive and well whenever he is sharing that forgiveness with others. Friends, I think this is amazing news. And I think this is one of the reasons why the Lord's Prayer pairs so well with our families. Because our families, our relationships are dependent upon forgiveness. Eugene Peterson, once again, he says this. He says, sin is a killer. Sin kills relationships. 
The wages of sin is, is death. Sin is a killer. But if that's true, then what's forgiveness? He says forgiveness is resurrection. We see this in our relationships, right? When we show true forgiveness, it's like that relationship gets new life again. It's, it's a miracle. I want you to think about this for a moment. How could this impact your relationship? How could this impact our families? Maybe instead of living harshly with one another, maybe instead of living self-contained, maybe instead of living puffed up in pride, we could live humbly, we could live vulnerably, we could live honestly with one another. What if this aroma of gratitude permeated our house? What if there were sincere prayers of thanksgiving over every meal over every gift that God has given us. I mean, what would happen if forgiveness pervaded every room? What would happen, think about this, if siblings decided to just stop feuding and actually forgive one another? What if spouses laid down grievances that they've held on for weeks, months, years? What if roommates came together and said, look, I don't even remember what started this Cold War between us, but, but let's stop it. I, 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 you know, I ask for your forgiveness, and, and I ask for your forgiveness. What would happen if we live open-handedly with the grace that God has given us? Right? Now, some of you are saying, this feels impossible, and I, I would say, yes, what I'm describing is impossible without the cross. But with the cross, with the grace that God provides, with his grace, amazing grace, flooding into our hearts, we can become conduits and share it with others. I've mentioned before a professor I studied with in Vancouver, his name is Daryl Johnson, and, and he does this um, prayer exercise, and I find it to be really powerful. He calls it a prayer exercise of debt cancellation. And so he, he says, I want you to think of somebody that you're having a hard time forgiving. And he said, maybe it's in your circle of family or, or, or friends or business associates. And then he says, I want you to tell God that person's name. God already knows, uh, but uh, just acknowledge their name in God's presence. And then he says, spell out the ways they've hurt you. Just, just tell God your true, honest, maybe even raw feelings. And then he says, kind of through eyes of faith, through eyes of faith, see Jesus on that hill called Calvary hanging on the cross. And, and listen as Christ, you know, Jesus says, if I'm, if I'm raised up, I'll draw all people to me. Listen as Christ draws you nearer to himself on the cross. As Christ kind of invites you to walk up the hill. And then he says, when you, when you get to the top, just tell Jesus how hard it is to forgive. This person really hurt me, Lord. And, and I, it, it doesn't feel fair to let go of it. And just tell Jesus everything. And then ask Jesus to give you the grace to forgive this person. And then he says, go back down the hill, grab the person, not literally, but in your heart, bring them back up the hill with you and just say, here they are, Lord, here they are. Give me the grace. And Jesus says, I will. And blessed are you. And you're never more like my father than when you forgive. And I forgive you too. <laughs> and go in peace. I wonder, is there anybody in your life that you need to take up that hill talk to Jesus about. I think this, this part of the Lord's Prayer is just so powerful for us. And I'm just praying that God would help us as we pray it to grow in humility. 
I don't know about you, but the winter storm we experienced uh, last February, it, 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 it knocked a whole lot of humility into me. I don't know about you. It, it reminded me that I am not nearly as self-sufficient as I think I am. Because you know what? If, if I've got a steady supply of hot food and the, the, the temperature just like I like it and running water and electricity and most importantly Wi-Fi, if I've got, if I've got all those things, uh, I, I, can, I can just cruise along and, uh, and, and totally forget how dependent a creature I really am. But take those things away. Take those things away and, and suddenly my hands are out. <laughs> suddenly I feel vulnerable. Suddenly I'm on my needs, on my knees in prayer. And that's, that's just for physical needs. That's not even to mention the spiritual needs of God's presence, God's mercy, God's love, God's hope. I wonder, anybody else here today just feeling a need to say, Lord, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, thank you so much for this prayer. We need it. As individuals, we need it. As families, we need it. As a church family, Lord, we need this prayer. Lord, in so many ways, that pride is the central sin of our lives and it manifests itself in, in all the other things we do that break your heart. And so, Lord, today we, we ask you to call us from prideful, folded arms to humble, outstretched arms, Lord, outstretched to receive the gifts that, that our hearts and bodies crave, but also, Lord, outstretched to share what you've so freely given to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your amazing grace. Let it do its work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.